electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, private equity giant and richest African-American, billionaire Robert Smith, on getting loans to entrepreneurs. More capital needs to be driven, frankly, into the small businesses' hands and, and probably give them a little more flexibility in terms of how they spend it. And how to leverage technology for a digital future. I think we should think about what are the most effective ways for us to educate our population uh, to drive forward. Uh, into, you know, into the future of opportunity. Plus, when reopening is on the menu, Cameron Mitchell Restaurant's founder and CEO laid off thousands of workers. Now he's opening doors again. I think we're going to survive, but it's going to be a while before we get out of the hospital. It's Monday, May 25th. Happy Memorial Day. Squawk Pod begins right now. Robert F. Smith is the founder, chairman, and CEO of Vista Equity, which has $57 billion in investment capital. Vista is the fifth largest enterprise software company in the world as well, and oversees more than 60 portfolio companies that employ more than 70,000 people around the world. Smith is also the first African-American to sign the Giving Pledge, and he was recently awarded the Carnegie Medal of Philanthropy. He's on many lists as the wealthiest black American. And lately, he's been working directly with the White House on the rollout of the Paycheck Protection Program, and how to get the loans in the hands of the most in need, especially minority-owned businesses. PPP was designed to rescue Main Street. According to the Small Business Administration, more than 4 million loans have been approved so far, totaling more than $500 billion. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin with billionaire businessman and philanthropist Robert F. Smith. You have worked with the White House on this PPP program, and so I just ask you to start by giving it a grade. Do you believe the money's getting where it needs to go? You know, we're, the first tranche of the PPP, I think, was challenged to get to the uh, the small businesses, small and medium businesses. The second tranche were being a, a lot more effective. Uh, but one of the things we discovered, Andrew, as you and I have discussed, is that there is a, a frankly, banking desert in a lot of the communities. About 70% of the African-American communities actually don't have a branch bank. And so we've been working with the, with the Treasury, you know, Senator Mnuch- or Secretary Mnuchin, uh, and Senator Schumer and Pelosi to actually work on building out capacity in what I call the capillary banking systems, which are the community development financial institutions and the minority depository institutions and building out capacity to get these dollars into the hands of these small businesses, which are essential to our communities. So, so what do those capillary banks look like? Who, who are you direct? If, if, if you are a, a small business owner this morning listening to you this morning, where should you go, go, go to get that money then? Sure. So there's about a little over a thousand of these these uh, CDFIs uh, and the MDIs, and these banks typically are in the communities. They're you know mainly in in what we call targeted communities. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of the larger banks don't bank those uh, organizations or those businesses any longer. And there's about ninety four percent or so of the uh, African American businesses are sole proprietorships and don't have banking relationships. And so what we've been doing is, is enabling, technically enabling, I've got some wonderful teams who've been enabling these, these businesses to interface with the e-trans system at, at the SBA. And you can go to a number of places. There's nationalbankers.org. There's National Action Network, who we've been working with, the Black 
black churches, our fair share, uh, a number of organizations that we've been working with to enable these banks to be able to process the loans. And we just there's probably about $90 billion or so left in the second tranche of PPP. And I think it's essential that these small businesses, urban businesses, African-American and Latinx businesses get uh, get their share of uh, this uh, stimulus capital to really, frankly, uh, repair some of the economic damage that this COVID virus and this sheltering at home has done to the community's economic base. Do you, do you think the PPP program needs to be extended and more money needs to get into it? The Senate tried to pass a, a bill that would have extended the deadline from June 30th, as you know, to the end of this year. I think uh, two things. One, I think we need to think about this holistically and how do we not only just repair the economic, but really restore the economic opportunity that we were on the path of, of capturing. And I think part of that is, is A, more capital needs to be driven, frankly, into the small businesses' hands and, and probably give them a little more flexibility in terms of how they spend it. It shouldn't necessarily just be 75% for for payroll and 25% for rent and utilities. I think there should be some more flexibility. And the vast majority of these small businesses, their loans typically need to be in the $50,000 or $75,000 range, right. not you know, $2 million. So I think it needs to be extended. I think there needs to be carve-outs uh, for specifically for banks under a billion dollars in assets under management. That's where these capillary banks fit, where they have more time to process the loans because it takes them some time to actually right. process uh, the loans for these small businesses. Robert, maybe a sensitive question, but how do we incentivize workers to go back to work and to do it safely? And, and the reason I ask is we've had a number of guests on the show over the past week or two uh, from Washington, often uh, on the Republican side, who, who say, especially among low wage workers, that some of the unemployment insurance programs in this country effectively are paying them more to stay at home. I, I understand. And we I, wanted no, that to some degree during covid but it becomes yeah, complicated I now. I, I think it's important, Andrew, that, that two things. We need to make sure it's safe for workers uh, to return to work. And I know there's a lot of uh, you know scientists, and we work in a number of commissions uh, at the state and federal level to, to help think about pathways to get back to work safely. Um, but from that side, I think most Americans do want to work. They want to get back engaged in, in the commerce and business and trade that, that they're engaged with. And I think the important part of that is make sure that we have a very robust set of businesses for them to go in and 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 you know provide their their their, their duties and their and their, their their efforts. So you know I think it's important that we really frankly restimulate the economy uh, and actually frankly invest in in the technology that will make our businesses more efficient. I don't want to necessarily waste this crisis uh, by not investing in technology in our banking system and ensuring that every American and every American business has access to a robust banking system. And frankly, every business has the ability to leverage newer technology so they can grow more effectively uh, and can continue to increase the wages and opportunity for their employees. That's the best way for us, frankly, to, to get entice folks back to work. Robert, let me ask you a question as a business question, as an investor in this world right now. Uh, clearly, the market is anticipating a V-shaped recovery. Um, are you anticipating the same kind of recovery? Uh, the, you know, the world I live in, as you know, Andrew, is, is software. And I think what has happened is, you know, the digital world has been pulled forward in everyone's life uh, at this point. Uh, in certain segments of the economy, I think we will see, you know, a more rapid recovery in you know, areas that I'm in in particular. Uh, and otherwise, I think it's going to take some time. I think we're going to have to relearn how we engage in certain environments and certain environments which require social 
you know, for some period of time, some social social dynamics of space that we hadn't you know contemplated before. So I think our retail markets are actually going to change uh, quite dramatically in terms of how we we buy goods and services. Uh, and I think that we're all going to embrace more effective ways of engaging, utilizing, you know, in my case, software and technology to, to move business along. And there's probably going to be a reshaping of the supply chain uh, across multiple industries. And that's going to take some retooling and some effort. And it's just going to be a question of how long that takes for that to actually manifest. But when you look at valuations today, and, and of course, they're, they're pegged off of you're, you're buying private companies, but they're pegged off of a public market. Do you say these prices make sense to me? These prices are too high. They're too low. What we see is in, you, you, you and I chatted about this a few months ago. I mean, that the, prior to COVID, we had just a massive amounts of liquidity uh, in our markets generally. And I think as people started to realize that certain industries are getting harder than others in, in, in this context, that uh, there's going to be a rotation to areas they think are less less uh, less affected. So we've seen segments and sectors in our space, for instance, where the valuations they took a, a short term drip uh, drop and then now are kind of reaccelerating back to the normal or to the rates that they were before. You know, there's an argument that uh, again, as digital uh, consumption uh, increases, that some of that's justified. And there's an argument that is frankly uh, uh, overbought too quickly. Right. Um, we are about a year. It's been about a year. It's a year, year anniversary when you surprised the 2019 uh, Morehouse College class that you were going to pay off their entire student debt. It was quite a remarkable moment um, that I think everybody in the country saw, and we applaud you for doing it. I'm curious what you, you think now, though, about higher education, the cost of higher education. Uh, a lot of parents, by the way, and, and students thinking about whether they should be paying for a virtual education, uh, some of which may be happening in the fall. What do you think of all of that? Yeah, I think it is, again, brought to the forefront that we're going to have to rethink education. We've been talking about this for years. You know, the, what is the value of a, a four-year degree um, versus maybe going in, in, in uh, different forms of work study and apprenticeship programs, et cetera. As you know, we've expanded our programming for our internex programs, uh, et cetera, really focused on STEM education. And I think the dynamic is we will see that since most of our students are now actually, you know, learning from home or learning at a distance, leveraging technology to do that most effectively is going to be one of the critical parts. And I think there's going to be a reshaping and, a, and frankly, a readjustment of our educational dynamic. You know, in, in, all, in, in all frankness, I think some of that's warranted. Um, and I think we should think about what are the most effective ways for us to educate our population uh, to drive forward. Uh, into, you know, in, into the future of opportunity. And a lot of it is digital and STEM oriented. And, you know, there's real right. questions around, you know, how much value do you get being in the university? There is a lot, I will tell you. I, I benefited from it myself. But there's certain types of, uh, like, uh, call it vocations, where you can frankly just, just learn them uh, in coding camps, et cetera, and move forward from that direction. Okay. Robert Smith, uh, it is always good to see you. We appreciate it. We appreciate all the work you're doing. Thank you. Well, thank you for inviting me, and let's continue to get the word out to get the uh, PPP in the hands of these small businesses. All the best. You bet. Next on Squawk Pod, Midwestern restaurant owner Cameron Mitchell on taking the cautious steps of reopening for business. We expect to be open and, and hopefully back to full employment by uh, the end of June or into uh, or end of July, somewhere in that neighborhood. We'll be right back. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research 
in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. Entrepreneurs all across the country spent years building their businesses only to have the coronavirus shut them down pretty much overnight. That's what happened to Ohio-based restaurateur Cameron Mitchell. And he described those dark days when we spoke to him back in March. Two weeks ago, on March 3rd, I was in Washington, D.C. to meet with my bankers, and I expressed to them what a great start to the year we had. We're up 7% same-store sales, record profitability for the first two months of the year. This was March 3rd. Tomorrow, I believe March 19th, uh, we will be completely shut down. Uh, I laid off 4,200 people. Mitchell is the founder and CEO of Cameron Mitchell Restaurants. 37 of his restaurants nationwide closed in March, but now select locations across 12 states and D.C. are beginning to reopen. That includes cities like Tampa, Orlando, Denver, Phoenix, and Dallas. CMR has also reopened 16 of its specialty restaurants, all located in Columbus, Ohio, and with pretty significant requirements to ensure safety and social distancing. And it doesn't come cheap. Here's Becky Quick. How have things been going for you, Cameron? Where do things stand with your restaurants at this point? Well, I think uh, I was using an analogy that it's uh, we were in a major traffic accident and the uh, company was in trauma and in a coma for the past few months. And we just now are uh, beginning to come out of that coma. We opened up uh, about a th- two-thirds of our restaurants here uh, last night and, and over the next week here uh, across America. And it's, uh, uh, we're, we, I think we're going to survive, but it's going to be a while before we get out of the hospital. Let's talk about how you did that, because I know it's very difficult for a restaurant to reopen once it's shut down, once the employees are gone, once there's no food mm-hmm. there. You have to go back in and reclean things. How did you get the money for that, and uh, how many people are actually working now? Well, I'll tell you, the uh, PPP money which we received, uh, in our case, worked exactly as it was supposed to. Uh, uh, helped uh, give us the uh, safety net and the ability uh, to help get us reopen. Um, and so we've uh, hired back uh, currently about 50% of our workforce. Uh, we'll, those uh, will get up to full employment levels as we continue to open restaurants. Uh, we're still waiting guidance in the major metropolitan areas, L.A., Chicago, New York, Boston, D.C., etc. cetera. Uh, but we're getting there, and we expect those restaurants to be open and, and hopefully back to full employment by uh, the end of June or into uh, or end of July, somewhere in that neighborhood. But uh, we're working, and it's been uh, it's quite a challenge. It was much easier to close the restaurants down, even though we had hundreds of action items to do so. Uh, it's much much more difficult to reopen the restaurants and uh, get everybody in there and start from scratch and clean the restaurants, clean the patios, relandscape, uh, get everything brushed up, and all the food prepared, delivered, the staff brought back. Uh, Uh, schedules written, uh, you name it, just a plethora of work to do. But I'm very proud of our team. Uh, They've worked their butts off to uh, get our company reopened. And uh, here we are uh, today. And it was exciting last night. I spent the entire evening out in our restaurants and uh, see couples uh, out celebrating and having a great time and people out on dates and uh, parents out with their kids and families and and, uh, hear the 
uh, chime in the restaurants and the dining rooms uh, for us was fantastic yesterday. What, what kind of demand is there? How, how full are your restaurants and the places that they're open? And what do you have to do in terms of safety? Are there places where you needed to have much less occupancy in order to distance places? Yes, we have to. Uh, and again, every locale is a little bit different, but we have, generally speaking, the social distancing of six feet uh, from guests uh, throughout the restaurant and a number of other safety protocols. We've worked for weeks and weeks with our safety team and putting our protocols in place for our, our guests and our associates to feel safe within our restaurants. Um, so it's a little odd walking in the restaurant and seeing uh, plexiglass uh, over your host stand. You kind of the host looks like they're in the penalty box of a hockey game a little bit. But there's some nuances like that that are in the restaurants that you uh, normally wouldn't see. But I think people, generally speaking, uh, are uh, feel comfortable and they're glad to see the safety protocols in place. And, and so we're, we're about, we think we're going to get about 70, 75% of our sales back is our goal. Uh, and I like to, you know, any CEO, uh, he or she uh, would be in trauma if they lost 30% or 25% of their sales. But in our case, going from zero to 70% or 75% is a victory and a win. And, and uh, I think uh, it'll help us and ensure that we get to the other side of this COVID-19 virus. Hey, Cameron, just really quickly, have you had to raise prices and are you profitable at 70 to 75% occupancy? That's a good question, Becky. Our, our models, uh, we've done extensive modeling to show that at 70 to 75%, we can uh, make about half of the profit that we did prior to uh, the shutdown, which is enough to satisfy our bank uh, and our principal and interest needs and capital improvement needs. But uh, it, so it's, a, it's a, uh, about halfway there, if you will. Okay, great. Cameron, thank you. I'm so glad to hear that things are going better and we wish you the best. We'll talk to you again soon. Well, Thank you, Becky. Appreciate it. It's a pleasure to be here. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. For over 130 years, McCormick has helped you make mom's lasagna. To keep her secret recipe alive. Take over taco night. No matter how chaotic your day is. Conquer the bake sale, even if you get to it last minute. And craft the perfect Sunday brunch when it's not even Sunday. Because with McCormick by your side, it's going to be great. That's the show for today. Thank you for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. And to get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. For over 130 years, McCormick has helped you make mom's lasagna to keep her secret recipe alive. Take over taco night. No matter how chaotic your day is. Conquer the bake sale. 
even if you get to it last minute. And craft the perfect Sunday brunch when it's not even Sunday. Because with McCormick by your side, it's going to be great.